You know, I, I heard a story about long ago there would be a special Sunday in which the preachers would always preach, and I'm talking about long ago, a sermon on temperance. Now, for the young people that don't know what that is, that would be a sermon against alcohol. How many of you knew what that meant? Raise your hands. Now, I know you're old as I am. Amen. And so, knowing that that sermon was coming, a Sunday school teacher in the children's department said, you know what? I want to illustrate to our children exactly the devastating effect alcoholic beverage can have on a person's life. So that teacher came that Sunday, and with her, she brought this. She brought one big jar of pure water. I mean a big jar of water. And she also brought a big jar of alcohol, if you can believe that or not. A big jar of alcohol. And then she brought a bucket of worms. And in that bucket, there were those worms. I mean, there were many of them. And so she called the class together. They had come together. And she said, children, I want you to know, I'm going to give you an illustration, because today our pastor is going to be preaching on temperance, the deadly effects that alcohol can have on an individual. So she reached down in that bucket, and she brought back a big handful of worms, Jeff, and she threw it in the water, and man, they just swam everywhere. I mean everywhere. And the children saw that. She reached in that bucket, and she got another big handful of worms, and she put it in the alcohol. And man, when it hit it, they died immediately. I mean, they were graveyard dead, dead. The teacher said, does anybody in here get the point? A little boy raised his hand in the back, and his name was Johnny. Johnny said, I get the point, teacher. Teacher said, well, what is it, Johnny? He said, the next time I get worms, I'm drinking alcohol. Now, I want you to understand something. A lot of times when we hear a message from God, we really don't get the point. I'm praying that you will. Little Briggs and Bryn came to the house on Tuesday, my grandchildren, and uh, they come every Tuesday and spend time with us. Donna picks them up, my wife. And when they get home, they're going to do one or two things. They're first going to come and find me and give me a hug and tell me that they love me. And then they're going to the kitchen to find something to eat. Well, this past Tuesday, little Briggs comes into the house and he says, Pappy, where are you? I said, well, I'm in the study in here. So he comes in and I had my Bible open and I was reading, I was studying. And he said, well, what are you reading? I said, well, I'm reading in the Bible. He said, well, I can see that, but what are you reading? I said, I'm reading about Snow White and the Seven Dips. He said, Snow White and the Seven Dips in the Bible? I said, yeah, it's right here. He said, now, Pappy, I've heard of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but I've never heard of Snow White and the Seven Dips in the Bible. So I said, well, come here. So he comes right over there, and he begins to read, and the first word that he sees is a man's name by the name of Naaman. He said, oh. Pappy, I know about Naaman. I said, how do you know about Naaman? He said, my Sunday school teacher has taught me about Naaman. He's in the second grade. Thank God for Sunday school teachers who teach the Word of God. I said, well, what do you know about Naaman? He said, oh, I know that he was a captain, and I know that he had a disease that was leprosy. He said, and by the way, he said, it couldn't be cured. He said he would lose parts of his body." because of leprosy 
And he said he went and saw a man of God. And the man of God told him to go to the river, and if he would dip himself seven times, he would come up clean. I said, see there, there's snow white in the seven dips. I said, so what did he do? He said, finally, he went to the river, he took them dips, and he came out, and he was made whole. I said, so Brig, what's the point of the story? God can do anything. Amen and amen. Hope you'll take your Bibles this morning. You'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And we're going to look at this passage of Scripture this morning called Snow White and the Seven Dips. Snow White and the Seven Dips. 2 Kings chapter 5. And I want you, if you have your Bibles, I want you to follow along with me. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Here we go. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were, the pro- were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl, he is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Israel said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And by the way, let me just say this. The amount of money that he took with him, I figured it up the other day, would be $4.1 million. So he had a large sum of money with him that he took with him. He took that money with him. He took those uh, ten garments, if you will, with him as well. And then a change of clothes. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised when this letter comes to you that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Now, I would just underline that phrase right there, prophet in Israel. Really, what that means, because some would look at this and say, Well, what's the difference between a man of God and the prophet of God? Well, here's the difference. The prophet of God is a conduit for the power of God to flow through. That's the way I would put it. And you're going to see that the power of God is going to flow through this prophet. And so we see that there's a man of God, and there is the prophet in Israel. Verse 9, Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot. He stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a message to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, And you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself. Now, I'd underline that. Indeed, I said to myself. Naaman is beginning to think on his own ability. Indeed, I think, I said to myself. He will surely come out to me, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the rivers where? Of the waters of Israel. 
Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. He was mad. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan. And according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And don't, don't miss verse 15. Here it is. And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides. And he came and he stood before him and he said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, the power in it. And Father, as we look at this narrative today, I pray you will reveal to us and show us exactly what you want us to hear. And I pray that you'll draw all men unto yourself, Father, as your word goes forth. We ask you to bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. In this story before us this morning, we have a beautiful picture of salvation. Matter of fact, salvation we see here occurs because of faith in God's word. We look at this also, we also see every sinner. Every lost sinner can see himself in Naaman. He can also see the power of saving faith. I want us to see how this great man, and the Bible says he's a great man, this great man humbled himself before the command of the Lord and received grace, healing, and peace. And so this morning, we're going to look at a sick man. We're also going to look at a sold-out maiden, and we're going to look at a simple message. So first off, I want us to see this sick man. Notice some things about this sick man. And first off, I want you to notice his resume. There are some things about him that are very impressive, if you will. Matter of fact, if I was going to try to hire somebody, Scott, I read this man's resume, he would be an individual I would consider. First off, we notice that he is a commander. He is a commander. He is a general. He is second in command to the king of Israel. In other words, he has great authority. In other words, when he says something, people move. He's also very wealthy when you consider him to be a commander. But not only do we see him as a commander, we also see he is a conqueror. When you read this passage of Scripture, we know that he has conquered those in Israel. He has brought back a maiden, a child from Israel, a girl, back to his house. He is a conqueror. He has delivered his country for the, his king so that Syria would not be defeated again. So we know that he is a conqueror. And God had used him in a mighty, mighty way. When I read this passage of Scripture, I looked and my mind's first thought was, why would God allow this to take place over his children that a little maiden girl would be captured? As quick as a flash, God reminded me that he is sovereign in all the affairs of all the countries in the world. God is a sovereign God. And so as I begin to move a little bit further and I see that he's a conqueror, I also noticed that he was condemned. He was a condemned man. I want you to look at verse 1 with me again, and I want you to look right at the very end of that verse, and I want us to notice something very, very important. It says, Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was an almighty man of valor. But watch this now, but a leper. But a leper. You see, he was a condemned man. 
Was he a conqueror? Sure he was. Was he a commander? Absolutely true. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, he was a leper. He had a disease that was dreaded. It was a disease that was incurable. It was the disease when it was left untreated. By the way, and most of the time it couldn't be treated. It led to disfigurement and to death. And so leprosy was a real problem. You see, regardless of how beautiful his uniform was and regardless of what he had hidden on the under, on under, and under it, I'm telling you, the truth of the matter was the problem was leprosy. There was a problem that he had. He was a condemned man. He was a castaway. He would be put in a place where no other people could be, and in that castaway, no one would go around, no one would touch them, and we see that this man's resume, as good as it looked, there was one flaw in it, and that he was condemned. When I think about leprosy, I also think that leprosy is a picture of sin. Do you realize that? If you were to go to Leviticus 13, and I'm not going to ask you to go there today for the sake of time, but I want to read two or three passages of Scripture and share with you how leprosy is a picture of sin, a picture of sin. For example, if you were to go to Leviticus chapter 13 and look at verse 3, you would notice that it is deeper than the skin. Leprosy goes further than what's on the outside. Leprosy, the spot that you see on the outside, is nothing more than the indication of what's going on on the inside. It's deeper, and so is sin. Sin is in the heart of mankind. God's Word says that the heart is desperately wicked. So our acts that, we are, that are sinful are not because of what we see on the outside. Their root is very deep within the heart. And so we see that there's a problem, and the reality is deeper on the inside. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So not only is leprosy, it is deeper than the skin, it also spreads. It spreads. Leprosy has a way of spreading and defiling the whole body. Sin also spreads. It begins with a thought. Then it goes to a desire. Then it goes to an act. And then it brings forth death. James would say it's LSD. It's lust, it's sin, and it's death. That's exactly what leprosy does. You see, the tragedy of sin is simply this. It absolutely destroys everything that it touches. So not only is leprosy deeper than the skin, not only does it spread, but it also defiles. You see, individuals who had leprosy were ceremonially unclean. They couldn't come into the worship service. They couldn't go and hear the Word of God preached and pronounced. And so what they had to do was walk around and shout out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And so it defiles. And when we think about what sin does, I'm telling you today, sin does, defiles the heart because it is unclean. It defiles the body. It defiles the mind. It defiles everything that it touches. Leprosy, like sin, is deeper than the skin. It spreads. It defiles. But it also isolates. Sin will isolate you. Sin will isolate you from your family. It will isolate you from your friends. And ultimately, it will isolate you from God. Sin. The wages of sin. And then it's destined things for the fire. The only thing fit for leprosy is the fire. 
The only thing fit for the judgment of sin is the fire of judgment. Millions of people every day, every day die in their sin. They've never received the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are spiritual lepers because they have never received the cure that can satisfy and set them free. And I'm here to tell you today, when you look in Leviticus 13, you look at Naaman's life, you see a life of sin. And when you and I look at our lives, we see a life outside of Christ that is marked with sin. We see a sick man. Number two, not only do we see a sick man, I want us to see a sold-out maiden. A sold-out maiden. She was a slave girl. Here is a young lady who is captured. She has been brought back to Syria, and she has been brought back to Naaman's house. She is placed under his wife's authority, and she is serving in his house. This young lady has some very unique qualification or character about her that I want us to look at. I think it's very, very interesting, number one, to notice that she had a concern for Naaman. She had a concern for Naaman. This young lady didn't ask to be set free from her captive. No, she had a concern that her servant, the servant girl's concern for her master was that he would find the man of God so that he could be healed. I find that very interesting that we as believers today, how concerned are we with those for those that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior? Been me, I'd have been saying, praying, God, get me out of here. That's not what she prayed. That young lady prayed, oh God, get my master to the man of God in Samaria that he might be healed. And so we see that she had a concern for Naaman. She also had confidence in her God. She knew who God was. She knew what God could do. A lot of confidence to say, if you can get to the man of God, he'll heal you. And so all of a sudden, she knew not only knew God, she also thanked God for those who absolutely believed in him. In other words, her testimony was true. It was real. In other words, she had confidence that if he would get there, then I'm telling you, he would be healed. Can you imagine that little girl's testimony, how persuasive it must have been? I mean, here is a young lady who's willing to say to her mistress, I want you to understand something. If you could just get Naaman, I'm telling you, to Samaria, to where the man of God, the prophet of Israel is, I'm telling you, his life would be changed forever. And so she had a confession for God. She was a faithful worker. Therefore, she was able to faithfully witness. You see, when you and I are faithful at our jobs to do what we're supposed to do, then people recognize our faithfulness. Then they'll also be willing to listen the faithful testimony of your witness. So she began to share it. And I can only see now the hope that the mistress must have had when this little child of Israel, this little maiden slave, began to tell her, oh, listen, you've got to get Naaman. You have got to get him to the prophet of Israel. I'm telling you, if you do believe me, trust me, I'm telling you right now, he will be changed forever. Well, evidently, it must have worked because the words from that little maiden girl went to her mistress who went to Naaman, and Naaman went to the king. How be it that the words of a little servant maiden would fall on the ears of the king of Israel. Only God could have done that. So all of a sudden now, you see that she had a confession for God. Not only do we see a sold-out maiden, not only do we see a sick man, but I want you to notice a simple message. A simple message. 
You see, the first thing that I notice in this simple message is the fact that we're going to come upon a man by the name of Elisha. Now, if I were to mention the name Elijah, most everybody in here would have recognized that, probably more so than Elisha. And here's the reason why. Elijah is mentioned 29 times in the New Testament. But Elisha is only mentioned one time. He's mentioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. You find that in Luke chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. And what you find there is Jesus is pointing when he did this miracle to illustrate simply this, that the grace and mercy of God reaches all the people of the world. That's what he was saying. He was doing, saying when, when Naaman got healed, he was saying, look, he reached down and took an enemy. He was from Syria. He was not from the, child, from the tribe of Israel. And yet he was willing to show mercy and grace to Naaman so that he could be healed. And when he would, God had chose to heal anyone, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. And so all of a sudden we see the Lord's man. He is none other than Elisha. The first thing that Elisha does, he gives a sudden call. We see a sudden call. Notice, if you will, in verse 8 what Elisha does. The king is mad. He doesn't want anything to do with what's taking place with this man by the name of Naaman. Matter of fact, when he reads the letter, he thinks the king is trying to trick him and he's wanting to start a fight. And so he said, let's just do something different than that. Let's find out exactly what's really going on. Word comes back to Elisha that there is a man that has leprosy. He has come there. He's a general. He is a great commander. And notice verse 8, what he says. I find it very interesting. It says that when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. In other words, king, if you've not recognized it yet, there's more to it than just being a prophet and a man of God. I want you to know the God that we serve, that Israel's supposed to serve, is a great God and the only true and living God. And if you'll send him to me, not only will he be changed, you can be changed too. And so we see here that all of a sudden, we see a sudden call. But not only do we see a sudden call by Elisha, but I want you to notice something, ladies and gentlemen. Before you can ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ, my Bible says no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. You see, the first step that you take when you come to salvation is that there is a conviction within your heart. God begins to impress upon you the need that you have because you're a sinner and the reality that the Savior, Jesus Christ, is waiting on you. And so he's taking those first steps. We see that sudden call. But I want you to notice a simple command. I want you to notice a simple command in verse 10. Notice exactly what he does here. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, and by the way, notice Elisha didn't go do this himself. He said, David, why didn't Elisha do this himself? He's working on his pride. This man is a prideful man. He needs to be humble. Notice what he does. He sent a messenger to him saying, Go wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you shall be clean. That's a simple message. In other words, hey, no big deal, Naaman. You hadn't got to do some type of big ceremony. What you just need to do is obey the Word of God. Do you know that's the way it is with our lives? Do you know that's exactly what God expects out of us? 
I want to share something with you. The gospel is very simple, amen? It's the death of Christ, the burial of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel, that God has willing and has done everything necessary to reconcile sinful man back to holy God. That's the simple message of the gospel. This was a simple message. Hey, Naaman, you just go on down there to the Jordan, dip seven times, and you're going to be healed. Now, folks, I'm going to be honest with you. Naaman did what most of us do when we hear God's Word. He did it. He did exactly what we would do. In other words, when we hear that Jesus Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father, you know what we want to do before we know Christ as Savior? We say, there's got to be more. There's got to be something else. There's got to be another way. No, listen, friend. Jesus is the only way. He is not a way. He's not a better way. He's not another way. He is the only way to salvation. And the only way Naaman was going to be cured, the only way Naaman was going to be healed, was to be obedient to the will of God. And so we see Naaman here. We see that Naaman is willing to listen to the Lord's man. Number two, not only we see the Lord's man, we see the leper's mistake. Here it is. Notice some things that Naaman did. I find this very <laughs> interesting. If you go back to verse 4, what you'll find is, and when he says in verse 4, and Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus and thus, and the girl who is from the land of Israel. The first thing that he did, he went to the wrong person. He went to the wrong person. How is it when you and I, when our lives get in a tangle, they get in a mess, we want to go somewhere instead of to the Word of God. We want to go somewhere instead of finding out what God's desire is on the matter. And so he went, to another, he went to the wrong person. He went to one king. That king sent him to another king. That king said, who am I? I I'm not the giver of life and the taker of life. I can't do that. Listen, this man is just wanting to start a war. There, listen, he went to the wrong man. Number two, not only did he go to the wrong man, he carried the wrong price. He carried the wrong price. It's amazing that when people realize that they're a sinner and they know there's something missing, how they want to substitute everything that's necessary for them to be saved. Listen to me this morning. Jesus Christ, we sang it, paid it all. All to Him I owe. He paid everything necessary for our salvation. It is absolutely free. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. God had a gift. He had a gift for Naaman. It was healing. God has a gift for you today if you've never trusted Christ. It's your healing spiritually. Listen, Jesus Christ wants to save you. He paid it all. He paid the price. Salvation is free. The price that Naaman needed to bring was simply this, faith. Faith in the Word of God. Faith in the Word of God. And this morning, if you would choose to be saved, you'll come by repentance and you'll come by faith or you won't come at all to salvation. It's faith. He comes by faith. He had the wrong plan. He said in verse 11, I said to myself, Naaman's plan didn't line up with the plan of Elisha. See, most people think, well, you know what? I thought to myself, he said. People have thought to themselves over and over and over again. Some people have thought this, well, you know what? I can be saved, but I can still live like I want to. Nope, that, that, that won't happen. I can come to God anytime I choose, but right now I'm enjoying life, so 
when I get to the point I don't enjoy what I'm doing, then I'll come to God. No, friend, that won't happen. You'll only come when the Spirit draws you. That won't happen. Well, I don't like the fact that you've got to repent of your sin. Listen, friend, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So you, there must be repentance. Naaman had the wrong plan. He thought, well, you know what? I'll just pull up there in my chariot, and this prophet's going to come out, and he's going to wave his hand over me because I am someone special. Can I just say something to you, friend? We're all beggars in need of bread. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about you except there was a loving God who wanted to reconcile us as sinful people back to him, and he allowed his only son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price. He didn't like it because he'd have to do something that he hadn't thought of. In other words, if I can't do, go through some act of confirmation, then I don't want no part of it. My dear friend, I'm telling you, it's simple. And that's why we make it hard. It's hard for us to believe in our mind. And he thought to himself, there's got to be another plan. Salvation is God's call. It's his provision for simple man to be reconciled back to him. And there is no other way than Jesus Christ. He not only went to the wrong person, not only did he carry the wrong price, not only did he have the wrong plans, but listen, he had the wrong perception. Verse 12. Notice what he says in verse 12. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not just wash in them and be clean? So he turned and he went away in rage. Here's what he said. He said, look, that Jordan River... It is called the river of death. It is a stinking, dirty, smelling river. If I was going to have to go get in a river, why in the world can I not just stay at home? There's two rivers that I know are far better with cleaner water. And I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't have any trouble dipping in them. You know what he said? I'd rather go back 100 miles from where I came from than to go 30 miles to where I need to go to get what God wants me to have. And that's what we do. We didn't like it. And so he got mad and he went away. Can I just be honest with you? You're, you're fixing to see right here absolutely something just wonderful when we see the Lord's miracle. But I find it very interesting. We think that we can work it out. We think we can do it better. We think we can get there on their own. We think we can engineer a better plan. And in reality, God's Word says in Proverbs, the way, there's a way that seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof leads to destruction. We've got a better plan. We've got a better way. And that's exactly what Naaman thought. He got mad. He turned around and he walked away from salvation. Do you know that's what some of you will do today? Some of you in here are lost. You've never received Christ. And what you'll say is something like this. Well, I'm not coming today because I don't like the fact that that little bald-headed preacher up there is getting very loud. I don't like the fact that I've got to do it God's way. I think I ought to be able to come to Christ any way I want to. Friend, let me tell you something. You'll either come God's way or you'll not come at all. And so we see here that we see here, lastly, the Lord's miracle. Not only do we see the leper's mistake, not only do we see the Lord's man, but I want you to see the Lord's miracle. The Lord's miracle. First off, in this miracle, we see Naaman's servant. We see Naaman's servant, verse 13. Notice what his servant does. He begins to deal with his pride. Notice what he does in verse 13. He goes to him. Now watch this. Now listen, 
This servant that he's got with him, he's got an entourage with him, Marty. He's got horses. He's got chariots. He's got all these people taking care of him. And there was, he's got a caravan. And so all of a sudden, one of his servants who could be just executed at the command of Naaman walks up to him and he says something very interesting. He says, he went, that, listen, he said, came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? He said, you know, if he had told you to do some grandiose thing, take 12 weeks in the course of confirmation. When you get through with that, man, you, oh, I, I can count down the steps. I, I can see what I did instead of trusting in what God was going to do. You see, he went there and he thought that he could just say, I'm going to do it my way. But a servant comes to, to him and he deals with his pride and he said two things for him real quick. He said, listen, you would do, if it was some great thing, you need to humble yourself. And also, he would say this, what have you got to lose? You've already come 100 miles. All he's asking is to go 32 more. And if you'll do that and obey him, I'm telling you, you're going to be changed. So humble yourself, get over your pride, and let's go on, because I know you're mad. That's exactly what he told him. Not only do we see Naaman's servant, but I want you to see Naaman's submission. Notice his submission, verse 14. Notice what he does. Verse 14. So he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I want you to notice his repentance. Chris, he had gone one way, away from the will and the Word of God. And now he's listened to the directives all over again. He's played them in his heart. He's played them in his mind. He's got a change of mind now, repentance, that leads to a change of action. And now he's going to go back and he's going to obey the Word of God. He's going to obey the Word of God. You see, here's something that I want you to remember. You see, there's two things that happen in this submission. Number one, he obeyed the Word of God. Now, 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 stay with me. Listen to me real quick. There's four things you need to understand when it comes to obeying the Word of God. Don't you miss this. Number one, there is a prerequisite for obedience. You can't obey the will of God until you know the will and the Word of God. He didn't know what to do. Listen, friend, you'll never be pleasing to God in obedience until you find out what God wants you to do. And so there was a prerequisite. He had to hear the Word of God. Number two, not only was it the prerequisite for obedience, there was the priority of obedience. In other words, he couldn't go to any river he wanted to do it in. The prior, priority was that you go and do exactly what God's Word says to do. There's a priority to obeying exactly the Word of God. Not only is there the priority of obedience, but also there's the perfection of obedience. Did you notice he told him to dip seven times? You say, David, why seven? Seven is the number of perfection found in the Word of God. In other words, if you want God to honor your obedience, then you must do exactly, perfectionately, exactly to the detail what God has asked you to do. And then the last thing that we see in this obedience is the power of obedience. When you see man's obedience to the Word of God, then you see the power of God come in on top of it. Notice what happens here. I think it's very, 
very important. He obeyed God, and the next thing we see here is that he was cleansed. Notice what happens. I love reading this. I could read this over and over and over again. So he went down. He dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was cleansed. So we see the miracle of it. We see his salvation takes place. Could you imagine that? I mean, here's what's happening. Don't miss this. All of a sudden, Naaman has got mad and he's left. But now he has come back. He's obeyed God's word exactly the way it is. You see the power of God and the obedience of God take place. And by the way, I want you to know, every rebellious, prideful sinner normally comes the way that Naaman did. You say, what do you mean? Most people get mad, and they run away from God. And then God humbles them, and then they come to God. Naaman lost his temper, he lost his pride, and he lost his leprosy. My friend, I'm telling you, when you admit that you're lost, you can come to God, and he can find you. You see, when I got saved, it wasn't easy on my wife, I'll be honest with you. The day, I, the day I kicked the lower right-hand panel out of a door, slammed it and told her when she screwed her head on straight, I'd come back home. I was mad. I was mad at God. I was mad at her. I didn't want nothing to do with Jesus. If it was going to take her away from me, I was in rebellion to all that. I didn't know that God wanted me to come to him so I could know what love and life was really all about. So I kicked the door out. Two weeks later, we're having revival. She sends the message. She said, you know, you are one of the deacons in the church. It would probably be a good thing if deacons go to revival. I showed up. But I said, all the way in the back. I mean, as far as I could get, that was on Sunday night. Monday night, I got, a little, got there a little late, so I had to move a little closer. But on Tuesday night, I knew what God wanted me to do. I got as close as I could get, six rows from the front, right on the end. When God spoke to my heart, I got mad, but I got over it. I got humbled. I got Jesus. And I'm telling you today, until you get over being angry with God, you humble yourself before God, you'll never receive God's salvation. Could you see him? Oh, I can see Naaman. He goes down and he dips one time. He comes up. Somebody on the bank says, you're wasting your time. Somebody else says, Master, don't quit now. You've just started. He dips again. He comes up. Somebody says, I told you, you're wasting the time. Somebody on the other side says, Pat, he says, hey, don't quit. You've only got five more to go. He dips another time. I mean weeds and dirt and everything comes out of him from that river. Somebody says, you're not getting clean, you're getting dirtier. Somebody says, don't, don't, don't. Keep your faith up. Boom, he goes down again. Another time, he comes up. Somebody says, don't you do it anymore. Four's enough. Somebody says, you're getting closer. You're older than halfway there. Don't back out now. You've come too far. Boom, he goes down the fifth time. He comes up. I'm telling you, looking the same. Somebody said, I'm not watching any more of this. This is useless. Somebody says, oh, now, don't quit now, master. We're going to see it. We're going to see it. Boom, he goes down the sixth time. He comes up, same way, <laughs> spitting, spewing. I mean, he's nasty all over. Somebody says, I told you, you're just getting dirtier. Don't quit, master. Don't quit. Seventh time. Cha-boom. Bam. He goes under. He comes up. 
white as snow. He's changed. I can see him begin to holler. I can see the crowd begin to shout. I'm telling you right now, God has done a miracle in him. He comes up out of the river. He gets back in that chariot. He can say, hey, boys, we got to go find the man of God, the prophet of Israel. I've got to show him what he said is true. He drives back up. The Bible says he gets out. You say, how do you know he's not still in the chariot? He said he's standing before him. I'm telling you, he is a living testimony. I can see him take off that cloak. He rears it back. He said, look, I'm white as snow. Now I know there's only one true and living God, and he's the God of Israel. Not only do we see his change physically, but we see his change spiritually. My friend, I'm here to tell you today, the only cleansing that can change you today is what can make me, wash me, and make me white as snow, the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. You're sitting here this morning. You have never received Christ as your Savior. God's Word simply says, here's the obedience. Here's God's Word. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's God's promise. The Philippian jailer in Acts 16 looked at Paul and Silas and said, What must I do to be saved? Paul had a simple answer because the gospel is simple. Believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. God's word says in Romans 10, 9, here's God's word. If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. From your heart to God's heart this morning, sir, You've substituted a lot of things for salvation, but you've never opened up your heart and received Christ as your Savior. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe upon his name. The message is simple. You'll have to lay down your pride and humble yourself and come God's way. From your heart to God's heart, would you simply say this? Dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner. I truly believe that you died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I trust exactly what your word says. If I would call upon you, you would save me. I'm depending on you now and trusting you to do exactly what you said you would do. Save me, Lord Jesus. My friend, if you prayed that prayer, why don't you thank him? Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.